make eye contact? Don't not make eye contact. So do not not make eye contact. So do make eye contact. That's what you're intentionally trying to say. Yeah, you need to maintain eye contact the entire time. That's what I was saying. I can do that. Okay. I'm already uncomfortable. Sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) That's an unfortunate consequence. (laughs) It it definitely is. Uh, Welcome everyone to Charting the Waters. Oh, we're going. Yeah, we're going. Hot damn. I know, right? Just snuck up on you just like that. Uh, Charting the Waters is the podcast where Zach and I sit down and talk about what it means to live this life, at least in our opinion, through philosophical contemplation, even psychological talk, a little bit of general topics on the the goings on in life and you know little things you can do to upgrade yourself or things that we want to ask ourselves to help us delve deeper into our own subconscious we have another guest really it's just the same guy who keeps coming back he won't leave peter mcfarland is back for the third time i think our last guest episode was also peter well okay so I didn't ask, I did ask for the second one. The third one, well, this one, Zach said that you were going to be doing a bunch of guest episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even say that. Yeah, you did. I said, I would like to do a bunch of guest episodes because people are here. And then you're like, fuck yeah. And you're just like, we're doing this. And you just ran off a bunch of topics. And then you actually just showed up at my house. I was in my basement, in my room, playing my computer. And I came out, I heard something and I came out and you were just sitting at my coffee table. Yeah, that, it, was, it was quite... That uh, happened? Yeah. It did happen, yeah. Wow, Pete, just <laughs> just getting right into it, eh? Just coming right in the house, not asking permission. He's that out. is Pete's style, though. He's always done that. I think you tried to break in the Callan's house one time to get cords or something. I... Yeah, well, I, I told him. I didn't just go... <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I didn't fair. just go in his house. But yeah, I needed the cords. I knew his garage code. I was like, yo, is this, is this okay? That's fair. <laughs> I guess go for it, right? And as far as CPR is concerned, non-response is a yes. So, I mean, is that yes? If they're unresponsive, it's a yes. If okay. somebody's unresponsive, and you can you can just do CPR. Okay. Wow. All right. I like it. Let's not get that confused with uh, sex. CPR. Not sex. <laughs> Non-responsive does not mean yes. Um, there we have it, folks. There's your upgrade yourself. So, this is not what I thought this episode was going to be. Are you glad you have your name tied to this? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is going to be a more relaxed episode. This is more one where Pete just said, hey, I got some things I want to talk about. I actually... Uh, I don't even remember what you wanted to talk about, and I haven't had the time to do research on it. But that's okay. Excellent. I actually sometimes think these ones are, are good, too, because they're just kind of uh, conversations that can go go on and, you know, go wherever they need to go and see if we can start talking about some, some relatively deep things. Mm-hmm. Before we really get into anything, I don't know if you guys talked about this on your other podcast, but I, I did kind of want to talk about The Killing of a Sacred Deer because we Ooh, all watched it. I'm okay with that. Maybe like a week ago. I'm okay if that takes up most of this. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, stop listening to this podcast and, well, skip to the time that Brendan will put in the description. Oh, okay, I'm, I guess I'm doing timestamps now. Yes. Uh, hey, I can do it on my, on my laptop. Um, so, yeah. You're going to want to skip past all these spoilers and watch the movie first because it's incredible. Yeah, I can confirm I basically sat on the couch for two hours with my brain turned into ooze because it was, it was pretty fabulous. It was, it, was a, it was an incredible movie. It's a different movie. What made you watch it in the first place, Peter? A uh, recommendation from a friend of mine. Well, I've never met him in real life. Uh, a wow. Twi- a Twitch streamer. Oh, so anyway, is he's not your friend then. He's my friend. <laughs> is this like you saying that you watch the show Friends and you're like Joey is your friend? Okay, he's not a Twitch streamer with like ten thousand views. Oh, okay, you he, know you... he he gets like forty, and we all we all chat. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> We're a community. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he has really good everything recommendations. Like every game I've played, every movie I've watched in the last while is is a direct result of the sausage. The sausage is a, is a streamer <laughs> profile. Yes, good. All right. right. Any Twitchers? Go go give them a look. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the movie. The first time I watched it, when I watched it with you guys, is my second time. The first time I watched it, I was in my bed. The lights were off. It was like eleven p.m. I was feeling, I was feeling extra spooky, um, for some reason that night. You um, as as in you wanted spookiness. 
No. Or you were uh, feeling just, creeped out on edge. Yeah, I, w- I was just on edge before I started the movie. Uh, which really f- <laughs> which really fed into the atmosphere that the movie created. Um, and at the end of the movie, I honestly didn't have any... Uh, I didn't feel like I needed to analyze anything or dig deeper on any of the subject matter. I, I just felt like it was enough that I had experienced all the tension that that movie had created. Yeah, that if there's one thing it does right is it is create tension. Past anything else you think it does or doesn't as a film, it succeeds in creating tension. Mm-hmm. Probably mostly through its soundtrack, which is just screechy, I don't know, violins. I don't know what they have going on, but it's... I, I don't know if you noticed, but those violins only play uh, in scenes that have anything to do with What's his name? I'm so Martin? bad with names. With Martin, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so essentially, the setup... You know what, Pete? You know it a little better. Could you give... Do you feel comfortable giving a little bit of a, a summary of the movie? Uh, sure. Uh, if, if you're still listening, this is when the spoilers actually start. Seriously, stop listening right now. Um, so there's a family. Uh, the mom is a psychiatrist. The dad is a surgeon. Uh, and the kids are middle school high school aged um and the dad starts seeing this um person the same age as his daughter and uh so that's martin and martin's dad recently died and in the movie we find out that he was killed during surgery uh by this doctor uh due to negligence and so the it's a revenge movie um, and, and Martin has some type of, uh, weird power. I, I don't... Supernatural is the only way to describe it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. where he, he can have an influence over the entire family. Uh, and he basically proposes this, this dilemma of, I'm going to slowly kill all of your family members, um, through, uh, he, he cuts off use of their legs. He makes it so that they don't want to eat. And the the point is that the father has to kill one of his family members to make up for killing Martin's dad. Yeah. And essentially it's the battle against Martin and his powers slowly killing the dad's family. I actually don't remember the dad's name. Stephen, maybe? Stephen. It's Stephen, Stephen yeah. But uh, Colin Farrell plays the dad in this movie and yeah so it's just basically a slowly a slow battle between trying to save his family and trying to stop martin and what to do yeah it's it's really cool because um any other revenge movie or a revenge scenario i i always feel like it's really unjustified um if this movie was done differently i i would immediately side with steven and say martin you're being an idiot uh, there, there's no justice that needs to be paid or anything, but the the way that it's presented in the movie really makes me sympathize with Martin and actually agree with his motives a bit. And, really, and that really shocked me. Um, it's not something I would have expected out of myself. Was that the first time through that you felt that, or was that maybe in the second viewing? It was the second. Yeah, uh, the first time, I, I could, like I said, I couldn't do much analysis. All I could do is feel. <laughs> weird (laughs) yeah this movie has this really strange way of delivering dialogue in that it's it's really flat in a way Mm -hmm. i don't know how to describe it and it's not bad acting per se because it takes a special kind of acting to deliver these lines this Mm -hmm. way but it's just it doesn't have this substance that almost real life speech has to it and that even contributes to to the general feeling of anxiety that the movie creates because it's just kind of unnatural mm-hmm. i think because i read after i watched it i read the like the imdb descriptor for it and i think the best way to describe at least sort of the the way the dialogue is presented is that it describes steven as an overly or like hyper charismatic person to the point where the way at least he his dialogue is delivered it would be somebody who is just so charismatic that that that's just the way they deliver it everything is so flat they just say it but it, the way it is so flat is that you can't take any meaning aside from what is being said there is no hidden anything it's just the words are what they mean and you can very clearly 
take what he's trying to get from the conversation. My mm-hmm. daughter started menstruating last yeah. week. <laughs> like, yeah, that is just a line in casual the casual party conversation. Which is um, weird because nobody would say that. And <laughs> you, you wonder why he puts that in the the director would put that in the movie. I I don't wonder. It's very intentional. Um, but yeah, uh, second time through, um, back to sympathizing with Martin. Uh, I don't know if I said this to Zach or in the group chat with you guys, but um, I found all five of the main characters, the four family members and Martin, uh, I both sympathize and pity them uh, for various different reasons. But they it, it's a weird dichotomy of emotions, and it's weird that those are the the what stands out for all five of them um and i I think that's what lends to um me shocking myself in in the emotions i had about martin um i I think that's what gave rise to it because all of the characters had had some type of uh something fucked up going on Mm. um and, and it really made martin's dysfunction seem like it was just common human dysfunction somewhat par for the course yeah yeah you know i had an interesting thought though and that and, and martin is this character who for some reason has these supernatural abilities over these people and this family and the daughter slowly becomes almost obsessed with him romantically do you think that played into the the idea that he had control over her feelings for him or do you think that that developed in just a real personal interaction in the movie? Um, uh, yeah, I think that even took Martin off guard uh, as it developed. Uh, yeah, that that scene where they're sitting in the chair, um, and then she like lies on the bed and takes her clothes off. Um, I I I feel like what I got from Martin's uh, position in that scene is that he really wasn't sure. Like, oh, do I actually? have feelings for this person do i want to pursue this or uh is this just distraction from my main goal mm-hmm. yeah okay i i don't uh, i do like that interpretation of it for sure it's just overall though it's just one of these movies where i came out of it saying to you guys that i wanted more of an explanation for for why martin was able to do these things but it's this movie that doesn't give you that explanation and i think zach you said that it, it doesn't necessarily have to that that's not really what the movie's about it's kind of delivering a message and just kind of portraying this world where Martin has these abilities and there is no need to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be just like watching Paranormal Activity and saying, well, why can Toby move things with his mind? It's just, that's just what's going on. More spoilers, by the way. <laughs> for, for, for Paranormal Activity, yeah. This qual- that's quality narrative right there. <laughs> but yeah, I think, and the way the way I kind of worded it, and like you said, is... It doesn't explain much of anything, but I like that because it leaves it open to interpretation. Mm. You can, the, the, you describe it as a, reven- a revenge thing, which I, I would agree, but you aren't really sure if Martin has superpowers or if it's a wrath of God thing and Martin's a vessel. Like, there's really no inclination or anything to point you one way or another that as to what it could be and i like that because it leaves it totally to interpretation and you can take it and make it believe whatever you want and i think that makes the bond you have with the movie and the characters a little bit more because then you can put yourself in their shoes or you have that personal connection where maybe it's similar to something you've had in your life for whatever reasons right whereas if it drove a narrative home it might disconnect from at least a certain portion of the viewers yeah and that's true that's true. I, I, I don't. I, I, I like that. Uh, he actually, the director of this movie, and now I, I apologize. I don't know remember what his name is. I'm not actually super prepared to have Greek. this conversation. Not? But he actually directed another movie called The Lobster. Have you guys heard of that one? Uh, I have. Are we going to talk about The Lobster at length? Because we're already 15 minutes in and we got things to talk about. We're not, actually, because I don't know anything about it. I was just wondering if you guys knew of it or had seen it. Uh, no, but I will be seeing it. Because yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos is his name, uh, is incredible. Yeah, Yorgos. And I can't wait for more things. For yeah. <laughs> and a quick shout out to not only his artistic uh, approach with the movie, but the acting as well. You mentioned Colin Farrell and isn't it Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Yeah, those two and then all the rest of the actors, they 
they slayed it. Yeah, they did. Like, the, the movie itself is incredible, even if it does make you incredibly uncomfortable and you maybe don't like it because it doesn't have a lot of energy. It doesn't have a lot of outward energy. It has a lot of energy, but it's just different. And mm-hmm. so some people may not like the artistic style choices of it, but the overall quality of the movie, the acting, the, uh, the artistic choices and everything like that was very, very well done. Yeah, and I mean, it's par for the course in that both of those people are just great actors. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, they do do a fantastic job in the movie. And it's one of these movies where I can really appreciate it for what it set out to do because it did it amazingly. I don't know that it's one that really connects with me or one that I really enjoy on another level, which is surprising because it's the type of movie that I do find appealing. It's it's very it's akin to The Shining or, or The Witch. It's just kind of that, that thriller that just creates tension but isn't really necessarily horror. But uh, it, 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 it's up my alley, but for some reason I, don't, I still don't know how I feel about this movie in terms of my own enjoyment of it. Uh, I mean, I know me personally the reason I enjoy it so much uh, is because there's so much to chew on and I haven't seen a movie like that for a while. Lots of the movies I watch are just, here's our premise, here's our theme, here's our... Um, What's that word? Uh, the most important <laughs> sentence in an essay. Oh, the thesis? Yeah. Here's our thesis. Here's how we're presenting it. Mm-hmm. End of story. Um, whereas this, I, I don't feel like it has a thesis. It just has ideas that it presents to you. And it's really subjective how you process those. Yeah. No, for <laughs> sure. Definitely. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to talk about on that movie? Uh, I just wanted that to be a little smaller side tangent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, on the note of there being lots of uh, sparked ideas from it. As Zach was talking, I I thought of something else that I I hadn't considered in the movie before, but the spaghetti scene where he's, he's, uh, um, Nicole Kidman visits Martin to say, why are you doing this to us? And his only answer is this weird drawn out monologue about how his dad ate spaghetti. Um, (laughs) and, and I was just thinking about that and, I, I think what I interpret from that now is um, Martin is saying there's nothing special about the way we eat spaghetti. There's nothing special about our lives. Uh, I understood that when my dad was taken from me. Uh, and I want you guys to understand that there's nothing special about you either. Um, and it's a really abrupt, blunt way to say that. <laughs> uh, but I think it's an important um, topic to to consider and have some thoughts on it's Uh, also and this is i think a stretch in its own right but it is also easily one of if not the most uncomfortable scene in the movie mm -hmm. you're like i had no idea what the hell to think of that entire scene he's just like yeah i've got to go to school quick but i can sit here and and he's just like slapping his spaghetti around and it does a close-up on him twirling the fork a couple times and it's just like he's getting some on his chin and you're sitting there watching like what what is going on this mother's children are dying and yeah anyways as brendan said that should have been a short tangent but here we are 18 minutes in hey we started that like four minutes in there we go all right all right so 18 minutes and 20 seconds is our time stamp yeah there you go there you go uh pete you had a few things you did want to talk about i did podcast did you want to let us in on that sure um there's really i was trying to think of if one of them was easily segwayable. There's no way. <laughs> that's fine. Um, segwayable. Is that a? That's not a word. <laughs> we can make. I it like word. inventing words. Coined it. I typed in uh, distinguishment into my word document late uh, recently, and it said it wasn't a word. I distinguishment. Like, I don't think it is. Well, distinguish is a word, and m e n t is a very well known suffix, so it should be a word. You heard both of those things here first, folks. <laughs> Hot takes. Okay. Um, so, one thing, first thing that we were supposed to be talking about is uh, hallucinogenics, um, which might be a, uh, a big turn from what normally happens on this podcast, but it's something that I am quite passionate about. Uh, yeah. And why don't you let us in, or at least uh, start off the conversation on why that passion exists? Um, well, during my, the most formative months of my life which was when i was ages two to three yes (laughs) um which is when i was traveling europe with my friend bryson um 
we happened to stumble upon some magic truffles in Amsterdam, uh, and we had a grand old time in the forest, and I really didn't know what to expect from it. Uh, I had smoked weed before that, um, but I, I didn't really know. All I had seen was people doing acid in movies and, like, falling through kaleidoscopes, <laughs> etc. Um, and, yeah, I really didn't know how that would actually happen in my mind. But having experienced that and probably, I would say, like, eight um, psilocybin experiences since then, uh, I've really developed a, a solid relationship with how this substance can open my mind to new ideas uh, and allow me to interpret those ideas in a creative way that I, I might not have thought of uh, in a sober way. Uh, and, and I think it's distinct from, because uh, it, it's well known that weed gives you some some crazy spacey thoughts sometimes. Um, but I, I honestly think that psilocybin and I don't have experience with other hallucinogenics yet, but I think it is distinct from that. Um, and that it's, it's not just about the content that you're thinking about, but the way in, in which you can interpret those ideas is, is just different. There's no way, no two ways around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, now I've heard, I don't know for sure, actually, and I, I can't, uh, guarantee that this is true, but I have heard that when you take psilocybin that your neurons in your brain rewire to a certain degree uh, in a way that allows certain neurons in your brain to communicate with others that don't necessarily normally communicate. And I think that it's possible that that is part of the reason why it gives us this ability to view our lives and dilemmas or relationships in them from a different angle and from ones that you normally wouldn't have even approached that thought from because your general sober consciousness just most likely wouldn't give you that ability to. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're right in the sense that psilocybin does allow you to, to almost take stock of, of your, your current emotions or your life really. And it's, it is actually proven that people who, who take psilocybin at least yearly actually, are generally happier and have better interpersonal relationships. And I think maybe that that, that part of the the high actually contributes to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, actually, one of my most recent experiences, uh, I think this will lend to how it does help your interpersonal relationships. Because um, I... Uh, there's no way to explain it in words very effectively, but I just felt unconditional love for pretty much everyone around me. Um, not pretty much, literally everyone around me. Um, and, and there was no thought process behind why that had to be the way it was. It, it, it just was a fact. I was just connected to these people on an emotional level. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's an amazing experience because... It's in in, uh, in sober life, there always has to be some justification or interpretation of feelings that you have for people. But um, under the influence, that, that can kind of be more free and, and less judgment has to be placed on those things. You know, it's interesting that you say that, that we have to have this justification for all thoughts and behaviors in ourselves in in daily lives or in a daily life and that's true we actually have a part of our brain that that is designed to to rationalize our behavior and our thoughts essentially to make us to keep us from going insane and i wonder if psilocybin maybe kind of mutes that process and, and allows you to to both act and think in a way that you're not necessarily trying to rationalize your your feelings or emotions in the same way mm-hmm but um, before I take this to the next step, which is ayahuasca, do you have anything to say, Zach? Um, I, I can, I can affirm reaffirm a lot of what you've said. And my, I know you've done a boatload of research, especially on the ayahuasca. And I'm not sure, I'm sure we'll find out where that is. But my personal background with it is more on the medical research side. I wrote a paper on it once on the use of LSD, which is different than mescaline, but 
in my successive research since then, I've looked at different things like psilocybin and mescaline and different substances. And to kind of go back to what you mentioned a little bit was the idea that there's been studies with happiness and stuff is that whether it's the physical neurons or just the brain chemistry or whatever it is, there is a lot of evidence to support hallucinogenic use as a medical tool for helping not only things with regard to happiness like depression, but uh, addictions and stuff like that. And then the paper I wrote on was actually um, LSD use as a cure or working on a cure for understanding schizophrenia. And uh, I just kind of would like, before we dive into ayahuasca, which I think is just balls out fascinating, it's some cool shit, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to just drop that out. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, and that's why I bring up this topic, because I am fast approaching graduating with a useless degree, Um, and I'm wondering what kinds of things I might be able to do with my life, and one of my um, things I'm most passionate about is uh, exploring ayahuasca, uh, how it's used traditionally, how it's used spiritually and religiously, um, and how it's used medically, and how it can be used in our society to, as you said, tackle things like mental health um, and just general well-being. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know much. I don't, I don't have any first-hand experience with it yet, um, but I, I do plan on traveling to South America to get some first-hand experience on it. Um, but uh, what I know for now is um, the the these... It's, it's used somewhat in, in kind of the industrialized South America, um, but it's used especially more so in uh, regions of South America. They're still connected to their traditional tribal um, roots. And uh, the, the people that live in these communities, they, they don't have the same illnesses as we do, whether that's mental with depression, schizophrenia, whatever it is. Or even as far as um, heart disease, cancer, stuff like that, they they don't have those things, <laughs> um, and it's not because their medical technology is so amazing that they've cured them all already. Yeah. It's because they're the humans there haven't gotten to a point where these things develop in their bodies, um, and that is if that doesn't fascinate you, um, this this whole talk is not for you. Um, but that fascinates the the living shit out of me, <laughs> that's for sure. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that we maybe over, over, um, diagnose people with those diseases and those conditions and that maybe they even go as far to underdiagnose it? Um, uh, at, like I said, I don't have first-hand experience with it, so I'm not sure in terms of the, the mental health things, uh, whether that is just a lack of diagnosis, but uh, in terms of the physical things, I think it is um, straight, like if, if you just had percentage of Canadians who get cancer versus percentage of these people who get cancer, it is, uh, well, I don't know if it's zero or just much lower, but I think there would be a very distinguishable difference there. Yeah, for sure. And so are you along the lines of thinking that maybe ayahuasca is is a big contributor to to these diseases being absent in people or is it um, more their society or a mixture of both yeah i think it's a combination of the two um i i don't think ayahuasca is necessary uh to have these conditions where these these diseases can't form as readily um but uh and and this is readily admitted by uh, modern day ayahuasca shamans it ayahuasca doesn't actually do anything that's impossible to do sober um but it sure sure as shit helps you get there a lot faster um and, and I, I think the leading cause of of why uh these illnesses are less less present among these people is because they they're more in touch with themselves they have a stronger intrapersonal relationship um they can they can process their feelings better. They can um, discover their passions easier. They can follow through on those passions and and feel fulfillment from those things. Um, and just all all these things that become available to you when you tear down some of the the mental barriers that people have blocking them. 
you're less fearful of failure, etc. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right, and you you talked about how ayahuasca is a sort of uh, this catalyst to getting there and having these thoughts, and it's just like anything else. I think what it comes down to is these people are are less burdened by it by certain things that we are in our society because they're they are just naturally more self-aware and maybe because of of you know regularly engaging in this drug but i think that's generally the same for anybody right if you practice times or, or sessions of self-awareness meditation or therapy as a whole i think what ayahuasca does is it, it kind of becomes this this part of your brain that it acts as your own personal therapist that forces you to to Again, like we talked about with shrooms, view certain areas of your life from a different angle or, or really ask yourself, why why is this how I'm feeling about this subject or yada yada. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's, in my mind, that's the way I see it is that it becomes this this personal therapist or this catalyst for, for personal growth and therapy mm-hmm. inside your own mind. <clears throat> I, I think uh, a good correlation can be drawn to alcohol in that alcohol is used in our society as uh, kind of a catalyst for social interaction. Uh, it reduces your inhibitions, and it's just a good reason for friends to gather. Hey, you want to go for a beer? Versus, hey, you want to go drink some water? It, 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 <laughs> there's, there's just a slight bit of difference there. Um, so whether, I, I don't know the percentage of growth that comes from the from ayahuasca itself versus just it's a catalyst for people gathering and discussing and interpreting spiritual and emotional things within themselves. Uh, I'm not sure what plays the biggest role there, but um, the reason I advocate it is because I think it can be a good catalyst for that. No, I'm not entirely sure how an ayahuasca trip goes, but my understanding of it was that it was a slightly more solitary experience rather than uh kind of a social interaction thing uh like everything it's it has to do with dose so if you drink a full cup of tea you're you're probably gonna uh be in another universe for a while um if if you just have you know a teaspoon of tea um you're just slightly more on that plane or whatever it is uh but you can still interact with people um so yeah it's just all about kind of the level yeah, and I don't know, <clears throat> just to kind of go on to that note, I did some reading on ayahuasca retreats and stuff, and one I was reading basically described it as there was the, the shaman who was leading the ceremony, and there was an array, there was an altar in the middle, and then there was basically bedrolls around it, and uh, that bedroll area was kind of the quiet zone, and then everything outside it was, was the, it was just outside it, and so... For the people, if they wanted to have that solitary experience, if they were on another in another universe or whatever it was, they kind of hung out on their own. They could be in there, and there was no talking. And then if, but there was outside of that circle, people were talking with each other and having interactions and stuff, and going back and forth between the two and things like that. So yeah, I do feel like it's very, and it's also dependent on person. Each person's going to react and have different. Um, different experiences as much as it is based on dose. That said, I think ayahuasca is one of those things where with a high enough dose, pretty much everybody's going to be flying somewhere else on a spaceship. Because maybe you know more details, but isn't it basically the most powerful or one of the more powerful hallucinogens as far as what it's able to do for you and and the actual strength of the hallucinations itself? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just it's crazy to think that i even though it's under the influence of ayahuasca that it's essentially just your brain taking you on this journey it just shows the power of the human brain and it makes you feel like we're just running day-to-day life with a governor on our brain it's like that golf cart can go a lot faster than 10 kilometers per hour if you take the governor off and that's just what it kind of feels like with our brains when you when you talk about uh hallucinogenics or anything, like yeah. Pete said, with alcohol is the same thing. Alcohol, it's just a small, Matter. or a much lower 
uh, strength, but it, it brings down your your inhibitions and it makes you relax or you take if those anything away. with alcohol it, it puts more governors on your brain well yeah, i guess yeah <laughs> it, it's a it's a trade-off it, there's stress. more there's more governors on uh your intellectual thought but much less on uh your ability yeah. to connect with people i think certain certain areas right certain faculties people become more emotional some people become more like they're ability to restrict their violence is gone like everybody's again they react differently but i do yeah it is a, a little of both it's a good point yeah i i think um it it yeah it does break down these barriers and so helps you to interact with people more deeply but at the same time it really doesn't again it's just this this catalyst right mm-hmm. it's like us talking about ayahuasca and saying that you can get to these spaces uh in your own brain without ayahuasca but it's just much harder to achieve i think alcohol and social interaction is the same way mm-hmm. for, for most people but it definitely definitely kind of removes some of your just your ability to to, to, to think logically it basically shuts down your whole frontal lobe and and executive functioning okay we aren't here to talk about alcohol <laughs> fair enough Fair enough. Um, <laughs> sorry, that I didn't mean for that to come out so rude. I just mean... Well, I'm offended. <laughs> um, Did you... Is there uh, other areas of ayahuasca you wanted to... Yeah, uh, I think what you said about... Um, uh, about how it all happens within your brain is really interesting because... Uh, yes, it all does happen within your brain, but there's, there's still instances of common experience... Uh, I'm not sure specifically with ayahuasca, um, but I know there is some traditional medicines um, where people speak about uh, meeting the same kind of deity being in their hallucinate in their hallucinations. Um, uh, a girl with uh, snake or not? No, that's just that's just a mythological thing um, yeah i was just about to talk about medusa i, I can't give an actual physical description right now but there is many people who talk about seeing the same uh person appear in their visions in their ayahuasca trips for real uh or, or so okay so sorry uh to clarify is this is this like some individual that people over uh, multiple experiences different people over multiple experiences have witnessed or is it just saying that people within a same uh, tripping experience yep. have seen the same person but it's not some person who's generalizable over multiple trips different trips different experiences different people Separate. all seeing the same thing uh, they give the same description interesting uh, of, hot damn yeah that's pretty wild see that's the stuff that really um, gets me going yeah and and uh, another thing is, so the active ingredient in ayahuasca is called DMT, and uh, that's a molecule that your brain actually it excretes all on its own, um, just very, very minute amounts of it, um, but something like a near-death experience uh, or some type of non-drug-induced out-of-body experience uh, will have higher levels of dmt present i wonder if that's what causes that whole idea of your life flashing before your eyes is that your brain just releases this this cascade of dmt causing a bit of a journey or trip in a brief moment Mm -hmm. now this is just my own personal question for you if you happen to know the answer but is it that the brain releases more DMT in certain scenarios, or is it that it drops the the, the inhibitor? inhibitor? I, th- I think. I, well, I think it's a combination of both. Of both. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there is two active ingredients in ayahuasca. The other one is a MOA or M M A O inhibitor, uh, which I don't know what that stands for. Yeah, and you, some cool brain chemistry shit going on. Yeah. Uh, you can read all about it uh, on arrowid.org for any of you drug. In, uh, interested people. It's a amazing website. E R O W I D, Arrowid. It's just this whole person that this deity or whatever this this individual they're seeing. Is there anything more to it? Do they say is there a common message that they're told by this person, or is it just like some person that's just seen? Um. Again, I don't know if this is specific to ayahuasca. Uh, it's just something I stumbled along. And it might not even be based uh, factually. I haven't done research into this, but um, that's I but, would have been going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, it was just uh, in my in my readings or watchings of various uh, hallucinogenic related things. Um, 
so yeah, I'm not sure if it's specific to ayahuasca or not. Mm. That's pretty uh, crazy, though. Um, so yeah, that's. I, I would like you to research that and, and let me know. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe I'll look into it. So, do, um, is there anything more to the idea that people have a collective trip in the sense that they all kind of come out with it with a really similar uh, message or, or, or lesson learned? Uh, I, I don't think specifically uh, there's there has to be a similarity but it's it's all it, it has the same theme um uh like ayahuasca has become kind of popular among uh people who are really involved in in wall street or really um some government involvement something really high stress high stakes thing like that um it's it's become popular for these people because their stress levels are so high that they they need something to help them cope with this um and a common experience among those kinds of people um well it'll be a life-changing experience either in they'll realize oh i'm not passionate about what i'm doing this is bullshit i need to stop doing it right now or if it is uh it, it doesn't have to be a career change they can stay in their career but they will be after their experience be able to approach it um with more passion from a different angle um and the common theme is just people feeling more fulfillment from their life experiences after having having a a little trip. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I've in the things I've seen on it, I've I've read on that being probably one of the bigger benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I don't I don't really have much else to say on it. Do you have? Is there other avenues either of you want to go down with that idea? Not really. If uh, if people are interested, uh, just know that there is lots of other people interested and information for you to find, etc. There's a great documentary called The Spirit Molecule on Netflix, and none other than the man himself, Joe Rogan, hosts it. And think of what you will of Joe Rogan. The documentary itself is very good mm-hmm. and has some very good information. And that was my first real exposure to any sort of professional research or anything on ayahuasca. And it got me interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't pursued it deeply as you have, Peter, any kind of research or anything like that. But I, it, has, it has garnered a fledgling interest in it. And I have done a little bit of reading around here and there. And so if, if, if it struck a chord with any of you listeners, that's definitely something I'd recommend. At least a good starting point. And actually, uh, that reminded me talking about the spirit molecule, DMT, uh, is something I hadn't touched on yet, which is... Uh, back to what you said about it being inside your brain and yet still kind of a common experience. Um, I, I think one of the biggest questions people ask is um, that people who are interested in more spiritual endeavors, um, there's kind of a separation between needing scientific proof, um, something tangible, something physical they can look at, and a connection between spiritual experiences that people have. Uh and I, I think DMT is a great candidate for being able to explain stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a hard molecule to study. The, the chemistry, how it interacts with our brain, isn't really well known. Um, but it could be responsible for, for many unexplained spiritual, quote, phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's a cool thing to explore. Yeah, totally, for sure. It's it's all pretty insane stuff, and you you can do a lot of diving into it, mm-hmm. which is probably the b- best part about it. So yeah, uh, I think it's actually pretty cool that you want to explore this angle of your life. For me, I, I I almost might be too scared to try it because I I kind of I don't like losing control of my thoughts in a way. It actually kind of freaks me out. So I I'm not sure that. It's necessarily something I try, but then again, maybe it's something I should try for that reason. But mm-hmm. who knows, right? Who um, really knows? I, I guess just as a disclaimer for all you drugging fine people is if you do feel uh, similar anxiety as Brendan just described, uh, do make sure that you have a safe environment to be able to have these experiences. Because if you already feel a bit uneasy and then you take mushrooms at a party or something um, you're, you're going to have a terrible, terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that, that kind of comes from people fighting off, uh, 
like I said, kind of open love feeling stuff like that. Uh, it, it's just too much all at once, and and it's hard to interpret those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Uh, yeah, I guess on the topic of um, op- uh, feeling open love uh, when you're under the influence of psilocybin, I just want to talk, and we're already at 45, and this is a really broad topic, so we'll try and not get too carried away, but um, I just want to talk about love in general, uh, and since that is such a broad topic, I will start us off with the thoughts I've been having on it recently, um, which is I've been single for over a year now, and I've, I've been considering what my next relationship could possibly look like. And I know you guys have talked about with um, with guests about polyamory, um, and I've definitely looked into that, been interested in that, um, and and I'm really not sure which of these relationship structures work best for me. But what I have determined recently um, is that the way that I feel love, the way that I give love to other people, I truly feel like I I have never met and will not meet someone where I can focus on them and say, uh, you're the person I love most, you're the person I want to... Sp-. And, and it's weird to talk about because um, because love, I feel like, is is not a quantifiable amount of something that you give away to people. But at the same time, expressions of love are mm-hmm. uh, very much limited by your time uh, and your emotional energy. And... So it's this weird, there's a division somewhere that, that means you, you do have to limit your love in some senses. Um, and many people choose to direct their love mostly towards uh, one person, and there's nothing wrong with that decision at all. But I have recently been exploring that and, and think that I am unable to do that um, because I, I would just feel like I'm betraying myself and betraying others if I... If I do isolate those expressions of love, um, and, and yes, yeah, since I, I, I do feel such open love with many, many people around me, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to cut off any of those channels. So yeah, so you're saying that monogamy it may not be your your choice of relationship structure moving forward. Yeah. Now, do you think that that's something that is just truly ingrained in you or do you think that it's just a matter of of circumstance and environment at the time uh well i I definitely think if i didn't have so many wonderful wonderful people in my life loving me um then it it would be easier to uh when one person loves me like okay i love you back this is a thing now um but since i do have so many great connections in my life um that, that, that is what lends it to me thinking uh, I, I don't want to limit um, the expressions I can have with any of these people. Yeah, okay. Okay, now, I, another thing I do want to talk about with that is when you talk about monogamy versus uh, polyamory, is that when you're monogamous and you're in a committed relationship with somebody, that doesn't limit your ability to express love to everyone else in your life. You can express just as much love to anyone, right? It's just the only thing it's limiting is the sexual expression of that love. And now, it, for the most part, I think you can sometimes say certain emotional connections may be considered cheating, but it depends. But I think uh, at a core level, it's mostly about the, the sexual expression of, of love and that realm of it that monogamy and, and polyamory deal with. And now, is this the one thing that you feel like if you're going to express love to the other people in your life, does it also need to include sexual expression to be uh, fully fulfilled? Absolutely not. I, I think I express love with you people all the time, and we have never fucked. True. Very true. <laughs> yes. So, so, <laughs> yeah, <it's> okay. <laughs> Making sure I lock all my doors. Because <laughs> yeah, Pete's just going to be Pete's, Pete's on the prowl. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's where it gets weird for me. Um, and, and where I haven't figured all my shit out yet. Cause I, I, 
truly don't know what relationship structures will look like for me. And, and that is very much to do with, um, sexual relationships. Um, uh, but I agree for now, um, my, my love for Zach doesn't limit my love for, for Brendan or for my family or for the other people that are close in my life. Um, uh, independent of, of sex. Um, but I do feel like, um, it, there is more, more than just your sexual commitment to someone in a monogamous relationship. Um, and more than just your time commitment too. Um, I, I think a lot of people kind of end up in this space where they feel like, um, like they, they are limited in their, the expressions of love that they can feel with other people, um, whether it be sexual or romantic or, or not at all. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, now that you say that, I do kind of want to actually make an addendum to what I said before in saying that it limits sexual expression. I think you're right in the fact that when you're in a monogamous relationship, you feel obligated to spend most of your resources on the person who you're monogamously engaged with. And so you're often going to put their needs for your expression of your love first over the other people in your life. And, and I think that is one way in which monogamy can limit your ability to spread love, not just sexually, but also emotionally and in other ways that we choose to express it. But uh, it's, it's just interesting with monogamy and, and polyamory. I, I don't necessarily think that we're born with one or the other being better for us. I think it's just kind of, um, this is my personal thought on it, that it, it's just a matter of current relationship dynamics. And, and then saying that, for me, I feel... I feel completely okay being monogamously committed in my current relationship. And I, I feel that that's because I've just, I've met the right person who allows me to feel that monogamy is, is the right course of, of my expression of love. And so I almost feel that it's just dependent on where you are in your life, which you feel is best. And I think that you shouldn't necessarily hold on to one or the other being the, the right way for you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't fully answer your question directly. Um, and so I, I guess where, where it comes from for me, uh, considering, uh, different things isn't because I think one is, is right or wrong for me, as you said. Um, uh, but it has to do with, I have yet to meet someone where if I did, uh, commit most of my resources to that person, I would feel like I was giving enough love out into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel restricted in that sense right now in the way that I, I love those around me. Um, but I, I have felt restricted in that sense in past relationships. Um, so yeah, it just has to do with if I meet someone where I can give them lots and lots and lots of my resources, but still not feel restricted yeah. in, in other senses. For sure. And I feel like if you're feeling this sense of restriction, that it it's sort of a, a signal that maybe this isn't the right person to be monogamously engaged with. And I think it's also natural to say that when you're monogamous, monog- when you're involved in a monogamous relationship, that it's not that you're now not able to to become attracted emotionally or sexually to other people in your life because you just do because you're a human being. Like that's gonna happen. And I think I think when you're in a monogamous relationship, it's important to actually recognize those those other attractions, right? And just say you don't necessarily need to talk about them, but recognize that they can exist because we're human beings living with each other. And that's okay to feel those. Is you never want to demonize that. And that's not necessarily you feeling sexually attracted to somebody else in your life, even though you're involved with somebody else, doesn't mean that you're in the wrong relationship. It just means that you're a human being. Now, if you feel like you not being able to act on that is somehow truly limiting how you want to go about living your life, then maybe you're in the wrong relationship. But I think you need to kind of watch carefully and, and kind of don't necessarily take those messages that society sends at face value, that you need to just be 100% uh, involved or dedicated or devoted to the person you're with, because that's just not possible. As an asterisk to that, um, don't just assume because you have those feelings that the relationship is immediately wrong, because... Um, because you, uh, you should definitely communicate those things with your partner first. Always. Always open communication in a relationship. Yes. Mm.
for sure. Zach, you got any thoughts in there? Uh, I've enjoyed the back and forth you two have had on the monogamy and the polyamory and stuff, and I agree with a lot of points on both sides and don't have anything in particular to touch on with regards to that. But I am curious what your stance is because you mentioned this to me, I couldn't even tell you, quite a while back, Pete, that I believe it's Italian. has, what, four or five words, Mm. different words for love, for different versions of love. And uh, is there any way you can kind of flesh that out? Because my understanding of it was basically... There's the love you have for your spouse, and mm-hmm. then there's the love you have for your family, and then there's a love for friends, and then a love for pizza, like whatever it is. There's different kinds of love, and they're, you can use them differently in different contexts, and they mean different things, yet at the core of it, it's still that same emotional, I guess, the same basis, right? Mm-hmm. So do you kind of have anything to say to that? Uh, you kind of fleshed it out yourself pretty well just now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously. It, interesting that you say that the Italians have different words for different expressions of love or different feelings of love. And it just kind of reminded me of this TED talk I watched where it talked about, um, how our emotions aren't just ingrained in us as human beings entirely. It, we're not just happy. We're not just angry. We're not just sad. Like that's not the only emotions we feel. And it's actually shown that in cultures that put words to certain feelings that others don't, that becomes a real emotion for them. The Germans have a word for the feeling that you get when you're inside in the cozy home and outside is, is cold or miserable. Like that is an emotion for them where for us, it would just, we'd have to describe that feeling. So for us, that's not an emotion that we feel in the same way because it's not labeled for us. And so, with the Italians having labeled love in multiple ways may actually allow them to to feel and understand love in a, in a broader but also more specific way than we can when we just broadly stay, stamp it as love. And so that's interesting. And I think, I think doing something like that would help to have them be in more touch with that emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also, just thinking of this thought now, it puts an entirely new spin on the idea of, uh, well, on the film Anchorman and the idea of I love lamp, right? In the sense, and this is going to sound dumb and I'm going on a diatribe, but it's for us societally, for when you say I love something, usually that's reserved for the upper echelon of things, right? And, and even for, I would say most friends, like your, your parents or your, you and your partner, you'll say, I love you to your family, your partner, and things like that. But most friends don't part ways saying, all right, I'll talk to you later, I love you. That's not really common in our culture. Or to describe and be like, I truly love, and now in the movie it's being stupid and using lamp, but saying like, and saying and meaning that you truly have a love for, whether it's an inanimate inanimate object or an action or a certain thing, right? I think because they have different words and it's more common in their parlance, it would culturally wouldn't be as restricted because like I said, for us, if you're walking around and say your Timmy's and your best friend is serving you Timmy's and they give you a coffee, you're like, all right, see you later. Love you. Like that's a little weird. Like people make a bunch of associations or assumptions that, Oh, maybe that's their partner or whatever it is. Where in, in Italy, it could be just like, Oh, all right, they're just good friends or whatever it is. But for them, between each other or whatever it is, it has a lot more meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know I started that off in a really odd direction, and you guys both gave me a look. <laughs> I just I wasn't mean, sure if you were being, I, like, starting a joke or not. Like, I wasn't sure if you were being serious. That was why. Uh, I love what you had to say, and I think it could have been said with or without the lamp thing. No, I but, know. <laughs> but, I get, both. Both are possible, with or without. And yeah. you chose with, which is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, though, if, if, if the translation of that into Italian, if that's a thing, if they see that and they just mean something totally different, and they're like, yeah, I get it. And mm-hmm. Whereas for us, it's a totally arbitrary sentence, mm-hmm. but they just have some kind of connection or at least some sort of relatability with brick, if that's a thing that can happen. Yeah, but that, that's an interesting thing. The only uh, Italian phrase that I know is ti amo, which is the the romantic 
uh, relationship one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume they wouldn't they wouldn't say TMO lamp. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, get weird looks. Um, but yeah, I'm interested with whoever's doing the translating what how they would interpret that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Language is freaking weird, but we aren't going to talk about language cool. right now. <laughs> that is no, for, that's, that's for episode topic. four with Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be just be the next episode. <laughs> just lesbian on here. No, uh, you had one more thing you wanted to touch on, and you're, you framed it as sort of the upgrade yourself. So we can do that quickly as we wrap up here. Sure. Uh, f- before this, I just want to say, considering the, c- the content we have in this episode, the fact that we are still under an hour right now is pretty awesome i think yeah i think we're pretty i think we're fairly uh for this being a fairly open-ended podcast we've been fairly on topic Mm -hmm. and we've we've covered lots of things about the topics pretty Mm -hmm. concisely i'm proud of us good job i I can agree with that a second cool so Um, how are you improving yourself uh you aren't improving yourself per se in, in the sense that a self is an internal thing but everyone should have some type of in stock investment of some form. Um, and so this, this come, this came into my life, uh, from a very, this, the same mentality, uh, from which I adopted minimalism. Uh, well, minimalism was for a few reasons, kind of freeing my life of junk. Um, but also, uh, very much. So I, looking forward towards my future so I could have financial freedom to do things like go to South America if I want to. Um, and so minimalism is a great way to do that because I spend less money on coffee, on shirts, on vehicles, whatever it is. Uh, and I can save more of that money, uh, so that I can, I can do those things I'm more passionate about. Um, and so along that vein, I was, I was looking for more things that would help my financial situation. Um, and, and I got really interested in the stock market. Now, my current interest in it is, is very much uh, an excitement interest um, because the stocks I have uh, invested in are doing really, really well. And, and that's just been an exciting moment. But... <laughs> Uh, long term how this is going to impact my life is um like a, a portfolio a, an, an investment that you can hire someone to uh kind of distribute your money equally in, in good investments for you long term those things have a four to eight percent return or 104 to 108 percent return on your money um it, whereas say a casino has like a 93% return on your money, you'll win some money back, but long-term you're going to lose that 7%. Whereas with stocks, you, you straight up <laughs> just make money long-term. Um, so it's, 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 there's no reason not to get into it. Um, it, it takes a bit of research up front, uh, a, a bit of time investment into it, but it, that time will pay off in the long run. I guarantee it. Um, and yeah, that's about all I have to say about it. Well, I mean that that one in one hundred and four percent investment was really the seller. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna put the time into it, in yours for the generally guaranteed more return, then why would you not? Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually uh, if if you people are interested in this, I don't have a lot of information on it, and I apologize for that. But there's a guy who writes a blog. Uh, and his his blogger name is Mr. Money Mustache. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but, but basically, a, a quick overview on his life. Uh, he worked as an engineer or something for I think it was six years. Um, and what is happening right now? Can we mute? Whatever. Is that yours? No. Uh, anyways, um, he he worked for a very minimal amount of time. He basically retired at the age of thirty two, and how he made this possible for himself is he was really smart in how he spent his money initially. Um, and now, and now he just, okay, we're, we're closing this. This is getting aggressive. Can I just close your what, Chrome what's here? What's happening? No, it's not Chrome. It's definitely not my computer. Oh, it, it is mine. I'm sorry, people. Pete. I'm a fucking idiot. Okay. Uh, um, I apologize to everyone. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he worked for a while. He retired at 32. He, and he invests most of his money into uh, one of these portfolios that's guaranteed well not guaranteed but 
uh, is shown to have these returns on his investment, and he just lives off of the returns from that. So he has whatever it is, 600000 invested right now, and he can draw 30000 off that every year and live off that money. So he effectively doesn't have to work anymore just because he made some some smart financial decisions early on in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's miraculous to me. Uh, he still does work because he's very passionate about lots of things. Um, but he, he, he has the freedom to work on the things that he does want to be doing rather than being tied to some type of job that he doesn't care for. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, anything else? We feel good, boys? I feel, I feel great. I'm actually feeling just generally much better than I was this morning. So I'm, That's good. That is good news for me. That's good. I, I've had to poop a little bit more and more as this podcast goes on, so I think my overall well-being has dropped by like 0.5%, but once I poop, we're good. There you cool. go. Anyways, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. This has been Chart in the Waters. You know where to find us. iTunes, Google Play, Anywhere that hosts a podcast feed, uh, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, you can visit us on our Facebook page, Charting the Waters. And yeah, there's not, that's about it. Anyways, Pete, thank you for being on here. Thanks for having me once again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no problem. <laughs> almost any time. Yeah, almost any time. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks, guys, and we'll see you later. <laughs>